I paid Tony to say all of that, and uh, and it is true. We do go way back in the youth camp that he was talking about. Uh, I I was thinking about it this week because we're gearing up for our own summer camp, our own uh, teen camp this uh, here just the end of July, and so we've been going through some training with some volunteers. By the way, if you have nothing to do at the end of July and you just have a really boring summer laid out, I have an opportunity for you. Okay, so please come and talk to me if you need something to do. But that youth camp that he was talking about was held in Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up. So we would attend every single summer. My dad was a part of the leadership with Tony. And uh, I I thought about it like so many, in fact, all of the most significant things that I have today or that I have experienced, let me just say it like this. Okay. So when I was 12, sitting in the pews there in one of the services, I made my first on my own profession of faith at 12 years old and asked Christ to change me and to save me. So that was, that was at AYC at, at the youth camp. Then, um, got my first girlfriend there. Um, <laughs> broke up with that same girlfriend at camp a few years later. <laughs> um, Got my now wife's number at that youth camp, called her, um, went back the next summer, and we served together, and um, yeah, so that happened, and then now we're married, obviously, so, and then uh, that's where I met Tony, obviously, and uh, that's where I met Keith, that's where I met Pastor Keith, and uh, when he found out some green young kid that didn't know what he was doing was looking for a ministry position he recommended me to this church and so connections from this church to Tony to Keith like from my family my salvation to my to my role that I play it all kind of if came out of that youth camp and so again that's my shameless pitch if you got nothing to do you never know the difference you might make in the life of a kid it might be seeds planted that change the rest of their lives. Okay, let's talk about battle ready. Uh, Today we're on mission. We need to know the objective. So, and let me just say right up front, um, this message is for insiders. And I know that sounds a little exclusive. Um, And if you're here today and you don't call Grace Bible Church home, or or maybe you're still considering Jesus and, and what the faith of Christianity might mean in your life, um, you're still invited to listen in, okay? And I want you to hear this um, for sure, and there is still something for you probably, but um, for those of you who call yourself Christian, um, this is really for us. And here's kind of the idea. So like when you, uh, we've been using the idea of the military to kind of guide uh, as kind of an illustration or metaphor for this entire series. And so nobody signs up or it's rare that people go into the military and they don't have a sense that they're going to be called on to do something, right? I think I shared with you a few weeks ago, um, a student came through my youth ministry and said, I can't wait till I get out of mom and dad's house. As soon as I'm 18, I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I'm going to go join the military. (laughs) So I was like, do you know what's coming? Like, and here's what's clear. When you join the military, there are expectations. We've talked about, okay, you need to, you need to like, 
train and go through all the process to become battle ready. You're trained on your, your personal weapon system. And then there's, there's an understanding about your enemy. And we've talked about all that. So um, in the first three weeks of the series, if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to all of that. But today, like what we're, what we have a clear understanding of is, is uh, uh, when you join the military, you're going to be given orders. You're going to be given a mission. There's objectives. And um, the same is true if we step into the kingdom of God. We used to sing as a little kid when I was growing up in like VBS and kids church, we'd sing, I'm in the Lord's army. Okay. It's like my favorite one. I don't know why, but we're all, if you call yourself Christian, if you go, if you take on the name of Jesus, we all have a mission. We're, and, and today's kind of mission briefing. So when we go outside the wire, that's kind of what the military guys say. When they go on patrol, there's some key things that they make sure that they know before they go outside their base and begin to patrol, fight, whatever you want to call it. And so today is mission briefing. Now I'm, I'm told that in military circles, that takes like two hours. Okay. I got like 30 minutes. Okay. So, and this is the most important mission in the world. And so bear with me. If I don't get to all of the talking points that you wish I would get to, or think I should get to, um, uh, I uh, just email me and I'll fill you in. Okay. And if, and if, and here's the thing, if you do have questions about this, um, we as a church are, we want to equip you and train you to be on mission. And so if, if you don't get everything answered in this message or in this series, talk to us. We, we, we have staff members, pastors, but more than that, we try to have classes. In fact, in the fall, we, we have some training plan that specifically helps people be on mission in this way. So, so what is the mission? Well, any, it's, it's easy for us to understand that we need clear direction. Any, anybody just hate bad directions and you just bad communication, bad directions. So anybody, uh, Anybody get lost following your GPS? Has that ever happened to you? Happened to me on Monday. And so we, uh, we had a, a student ministry team go down to New Mexico, um, sort of a short-term missions trip. And about 15 teenagers went down there and served at a, a Bible camp called Broken Arrow Bible Ranch to about 80 Navajo children. It was super awesome. And our team led that. And when they got back, we had rented, um, uh, in addition to the church van that we have, we needed more seats. So we had rented a few vehicles from Turo, which is sort of like Airbnb for rental cars. You rent directly from from personal owners of vehicles, super cool. We loved it, but we had to return those vehicles on Monday and uh, over in Meridian somewhere. And we wanted to get the cars washed and we did that. And uh, by the way, I put in the address for the car wash and then I tried to text it to some of the other guys who were helping me return the vehicles. It led us to the middle of nowhere. Um, We were sitting outside of somebody's house and we're like, this is not a car wash. Where's Metro? You know, we're like, how did this happen? And so we're, then we're running late and you know, when traffic is always worse when you're running late. Has anybody noticed that? Okay. And so, so we're, we're trying to get these vehicles clean and back on time and we finally get them washed and there's construction over Meridian that blocked the direct route from the car wash, literally across the street to the neighborhood where we needed to go. So we we're following the GPS and it takes me into this neighborhood. And as soon as I would, it would say, go straight. And I'd go straight. And then it would say, no, you need to do a turn. Like it was just confused and 
it had no idea where we should be going. In fact, I ended up stopping in the middle of the neighborhood, unintentionally blocked a driveway. People were trying to get home to their own house and I'm sitting in front of their house. They're probably like, who is this guy? Had to ask them for directions because I was lost. And nothing is more frustrating than when you're called to do something and there's no clear call. When somebody says, I need you to do this, but they don't tell you how or what or... And so Jesus, he gives us a clear call and we're gonna look at that clear call today. Now I left you off with last week, if you love and follow Jesus, if you're in relationship with him, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And you can read that two different ways. I, I, at least I feel like you can. You can read it as, well, I'm gonna do my best to love Jesus. He commands me to do all these hard things and I'm gonna put my head down. I'm gonna work really hard to do those hard things. And by the way, I think that there is a cost of following Jesus. There's a discipline to that. And we talked about that. That goes against our nature. And it's sort of like, you know, we'd rather eat donuts in the morning rather than like something healthier, right? And so there is an intentionality and an effort to participating in the work that God is doing in our lives. But I also think that you can read that another way where it says, if you love me, you will obey my commands, meaning your, your desires will be changed. Your heart will be changed. These commands, what I'm calling you to do won't seem like this hard burden. It's because your heart has changed and your desires, you begin to value what he values. I think both of those things should be read into that verse. But the fact of the matter is he says, you, you're, you, we're supposed to obey his commands. Well, Jewish law, um, the Old Testament law, and if you Google this today, um, you will find 613 laws in scripture according to Jewish, according to Jewish law. And Jesus, he comes onto the scene and in Matthew 5, you can turn there if you want. It's not going to be on the screen. The other key passages we're going to be in are going to be Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. So basically, we're going to be in Matthew. We'll start out in Matthew 5. And I'm going to breeze through this passage a little bit because it's not the heart of the message, but it's, it's important for context. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, and I think it starts in verse 17, he says, do not think that I have come to get rid of the law. So the people, if you kind of understand the context and, the, and what's going on in the nation of Israel, first of all, they're under the Roman Empire. They're under the thumb of the Romans. They're, they've been conquered. They've been defeated. We as Americans, we don't identify with that. Okay, we just don't. We don't know what it's like for somebody to come in and take over and impress their culture upon us and strip us of our freedoms. We just don't understand that. But the Jews... They did, and they were under the thumb of their own empire. And this was not a new thing. This had been going on for like literally a couple hundred years. And they were constantly fighting and pushing back against the rule of the Romans. And that's one of the reasons why the Romans ruled with such, such like an iron fist. They, ru they ruled with brutality. They didn't have the, the manpower to, with their armies to manage to defend all of their borders and keep peace within their borders. And so they made an example out of you. If you rebelled, they came in and leveled your city. 
And of course, this breeded hatred and stuff with the, with the Jews. But then there was also this culture um, within the Jewish people that there was a devotion to the religious law. And there was Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and religious leaders who, who played this delicate balance between, you know, trying to lead the people and lift the people up, but also like to appease the Romans and to be on in good terms with the Romans. And so, but they were committed to Jewish law. And they were the standard. I mean, they like, they meticulously knew the law. In fact, we're told that Pharisees memorized huge parts, huge, huge portions of the Torah, or the Jewish law. They would go to school. It was their life, okay? And, and they were what we would call almost just too much into the, the rules of the legalism of it. And the, the law felt like a burden to, the, to the, every common day man or woman. And so Jesus comes along and he says, hey, I know you're in a bad spot. And, and, and you probably want me to just get rid of the Romans and overthrow the empire and just like give you your country back and your freedom and lead you into, you know, the future. But he said, I've not come to, a, to get rid of the law. I've actually come to fulfill the law. And then he says, and this is hard for us to even embrace. He says, you have to, you have to embrace all the law. In fact, he says, if you relax in any of the, you, you read some of these laws and you think some of them aren't important, don't relax because if you do that, he says there in this passage, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes and he says, and if you, but if you do and teach even the smallest of these laws, you'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then he says in verse 20, and this is where he just probably just blew people's minds. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying this 613 rules, the Pharisees who are the absolute experts in all 613, you gotta be better than them. You've gotta raise the bar. It's, it can't, and then he goes on and he preaches through the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it said, you know, if you commit adultery, that's a sin. But I say, if you just look at somebody with lust, if you just, that's like committing adultery in your heart. He said, you've heard it said that it's wrong to commit murder. That's true. But if you just hate in your heart, that's the same as murder. He's elevating what, and the people are like, that's impossible. We can't, we can't live up to that standard. No one is perfect. We can't live up to that. That's impossible. And so the question for us today is if, if, if I'm to love Jesus and follow his commands, how is that even possible? That does not sound like a clear call. Well, I hope today to again, look at the words of Jesus. When there's confusing parts of scripture, what you do is you look at other parts of scripture to, to find clarity. So we're gonna look at a different part of scripture in Matthew 22 that goes right along with this. And if you're taking notes, again, using the military metaphor, if we're gonna be on mission, the first thing we need to understand is that we need to know who our commanding officer is. And I've already broken this down over the last couple of weeks. Um, and so again, I would encourage you to catch up, but I do wanna remind you that our commanding officer is Jesus Christ. And this is clarified in Matthew 22. So, basically, I've, I've, hopefully I've kind of helped you understand the Pharisees just, they hated Jesus because he kind of undermined their influence. And then he kind of was, I mean, he, his teaching was astounding and, and freeing. And they were also worried that he might stir up some sort of following that would bring attention from the Romans. And so they were just, they just, they didn't want him around. 
And they were constantly trying to trap him in some sort of legal argument so they could put him in prison or, and they would end up crucifying him on the charge of blasphemy, which was erroneous, but they were constantly trying to trap him in a legal argument. So in Matthew 22, I'll just sort of paraphrase the first part. They, they're like, okay, so like, you know, he says he's not for Rome, and, but, you know, like, but maybe like we can ask him a trick question when it comes to taxes. And so they, they ask him a question about taxes. And of course he answers perfectly and they can't trap him with that. And then they're like, okay, what about doctrine and theology? Let's, let's come up with sort of a, like a, a confusing question that has to do with marriage and like the resurrection. And so they, the Sadducees go to him and they ask him this really like big hypothetical, like something that would never happen. But he still answers that perfectly. And finally they look around the room Room and they're like, okay, who's the, who's the, who's, who's the best among us? Who can, who, who can trap him with an argument unlike any other? And they choose a lawyer and they say, okay, you like, they're all experts in the law, but they pick out the best one and they say, okay, ask him this. And here's the question. They ask Jesus, what do you think is the greatest law? Okay. There's 613. Which one of them is the greatest? And he quotes Deuteronomy actually. And in Matthew 22, he says this, verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. And the way I, I see this in our context today is like, when it comes to fighting this battle, we need to know who our officer, our commanding officer is. Our commander is Jesus. Our devotion is to him first and foremost. So who, who is Jesus? If he's our commanding officer, who is he? We're supposed to be devoted to him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Who is he? I love this passage in Isaiah and it says, for unto you, for unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given. We read this at Christmas time usually. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I love that word prince, not because of the English translation, but because of the one that's written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word there is the word sar. Sar is the most common term, Hebrew term to refer to leaders in the Old Testament, but it carried with it, not just this, because when we think of prince, what do you think of? Okay. Like you think of maybe like the British monarchy and like, you know, like some sort of like figurehead and maybe like somebody that just goes around and like they're not really much of a leader. They're just sort of there, okay? The dad's king, he's in charge, you know, I guess. In ancient times, like, you know, like lots of pomp, circumstance, wealth, whatever you come in. The, the word sar actually literally means military leader, a leader of strength. It also can carry with it the leader of a group of priests, in other words, this is not just a, a military leader. This is a spiritual leader. And it's a leader of high regard. The word is also given to the people in Solomon's court. His highest officials are given the term Sar. Jesus is a Sar. He's not weak. He is not a pushover. He's not like some figurehead that's like some sort of like, like puppet of sorts. Like, no, he is commander in chief. He is in charge. And so, he, and, and if you kind of want to think of it like this, in, a, in the context of a battle, you need to know, you and I would be, benefit greatly. If we were ever in a battle, a physical, real, 
war and we're in the trenches, I want a commanding officer who knows exactly what to do in those situations, who knows where the enemy is, what the objective is, how to get our squad to the objective, how to guide us to, uh, through the mission and then back to safety. I want somebody who knows, and when he's giving me orders, it's not like, well, who, who died and made you in charge or put you in charge? Like, well, in that case, he would probably say, well, I did, I died. And then like, now I'm in charge, okay? So like, he's the only one that can say that. But I want a commander who knows the way and Jesus is, he's, he's, he knows. And he's worth put building your life on. We talked a lot about that last week. But the heart of the message is where I want to go next. So you, if you're on mission, if you're, if you're getting mission briefing, you need to know who your, who your commanding officer is. You need to know the strategy. And that's your, your second point. The strategy is love and truth. It's not, it's not guns and bombs and all that kind of stuff. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight in the spiritual realm. We talked about that in previous messages. Our weapons are not the same. We talked about the word of God, but our strategy is we're gonna use love and we're gonna use truth. And this comes right out of the next verse in verse 39 there in Matthew 22. He says, and the second commandment is like it. You shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What's he saying? The 613, I did not come to get rid of them. He, I came to fulfill them. That's what he said. But he said, if you're worried about trying to keep all 613, here's what you need to know. I'm gonna bring to you some clarity. Love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things, if you do these two things, the rest will take care of itself. So the question is, how do I love my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus says everyone is your neighbor, but we understand that there are levels of love. There's levels to our relationships. There are people that can walk in my house. They don't have to knock on my door. They walk straight through the door, go straight to the kitchen, yank open the refrigerator door, get whatever they want out of it and go on their merry way. They're my kids, okay? most of you have not reached that level of relationship or friendship with me. My wife and I, like our relationship, it's unique. It's, it's different. My family, the, peop, the, the people I love, the people that are closest to me, they, we communicate different. We interact with each other differently. And then I work with some people that I consider some of my dearest friends, like Will and Tony and Keith. Like our relationship is probably different than even like my own relationship with my own father. And like, there's people out there that are more like acquaintances. And I would say that I love a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I know everybody to the same level. And I think when we hear this or read this in scripture that we are called to love, then we feel an element of guilt. And I, and I wanna stop here and say, it is not my goal in any way to emotionally manipulate you or guilt trip you into doing something that God is not calling you to do. But we are called to love people. We're called to love well. So what does that look like? Well, I, honestly, I, I thought about this because as a youth pastor, I've only had two or three kids asked to live with me. Like, and sometimes I think we're like, well, if I'm gonna love somebody well, I've gotta give them access to my home and all my resources and I've gotta trust them implicitly. No, you, you don't have to do that. But there's a way to love without being unwise. 
And so I thought to myself, I'm like, who knows how to do that well? And I thought of Love Inc., the, the, the ministry right here in our community um, over here in Nampa. It stands for Love in the Name of Christ. And so I went to their website. I'm like, what is it? What, how do they love people? So these are not in your notes, but I ripped these totally off from Love Inc. And I think they give us some good application for today. First of all, they strive, if they're gonna, to love people in the name of Christ, first of all, they say, we're gonna see everyone's value. Every single person, every single human being is created in the image of God. There's a lot of confusion about identity and gender and all this kind of stuff. The first building blocks of every single person's identity is that you and I were created in the image of God. Genesis says that male and female, he created them but we all bear the, the image of God. I, I don't know if this is true. I saw it on like a, a minute long clip on like social media, like yesterday. And so um, I don't know if this is true, but if it's true, this is pretty cool. So DNA, these people who study DNA, which are way smarter than me, they have found that there is a, a pattern of numbers in every single person's DNA. And I'm probably gonna mess this up, but there's like four letters and there's four numbers and those uh, numbers correspond to letters in the Jewish alphabet. And if you spell it out, it spells Yahweh, which is the name of God. Now, that's pretty cool. Um, in other words, if that's true, he has written his name on every single one of you and I. I haven't seen that for my own self, but here's what I do know is that he said, we are image bearers of him. That means that every single person in this room and outside these walls deserves the dignity, love, and respect simply because they are created in the image of God. And it doesn't matter what they've done, what they've gone, there's, there's, there's consequences to bad behavior. Criminal behavior deserves consequences. I'm not saying that it doesn't but every single person deserves the respect and kindness because they're in the image of God. So we need to see people's value. Next, we need to be willing to invest relationally in others. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. Love is hard. We, we talk about giving here at Grace Bible Church, and, and I love the idea that our dollars do some pretty cool things here and around the world. But sometimes, I, I'll be honest, I, I've probably given to something so that I didn't have to do much else. We're called to invest relationally, be a friend. What does it mean to be a friend? There's some country song, um, I, it's, this is not in my notes, so this is totally off the cuff, but isn't there a country song that says, you find out who your friends are, like they'll drop everything, come out and crank up their car, hit the gas, get there fast, something like that. You know, Some of you country people help me out. But they'll drop what they're doing to come get you out of a bind. You find out who your friends are. That's what a friend does. They help, they help in time of need. They got your back. You're just like, wow, he listens to country music only like a couple of times a year. So like, <laughs> it's, it's worship the rest of the time. But be a friend. Be kind. Be helpful. Serve. Then the third one that Love Inc. has on their website, it says, help everyone achieve their God-given potential. I love this because this is seeing them for who they really are. If we really see people as we should, we should point them to the truth of God. And I'm a, I, I harp on this just about every message. And I, 
I hope it doesn't start to fall on deaf ears, but identity is so huge. We need to point people to the fact that they are, their real identity is found in Christ. It's not something they can manufacture or achieve or work towards on their own. The Christian identity, as Tim Keller said, and I think I mentioned this in previous sermons, the only identity that's freely received, it's not achieved. You can't earn it. Christ freely gives it, but how can people step into their purpose if they don't know who they are? So if we're going to love well, we need to point people to this idea of who God has created them to be. Number four, we need to require, push, we need to require them to, to contribute and participate in the process of becoming like Christ. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but we can't work at it harder than them. And there's people out there that are users and they will soak up your time and soak up your energy and soak up your resources. Give them next steps, give them direction, point them to Jesus, but you can't work at it harder than they can or, and that they are willing to work. I don't know who came up with this, but you've heard it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can't do this for them. And so there's times when to love people well, we'll say, look, I've given you next steps. You're not engaging in this. I'm gonna use my time to invest in others. When you're ready, you come back to me. My door is always open, but there's times where we need to move on and that seems unloving, but we need to require people to participate in this process of becoming like Jesus and then respond with discernment and wisdom. This would be the fifth one. Respond with wisdom and discernment. In other words, guide them in truth. It's not about your opinions or your, my ambitions. It's like the devotion to the word of God. And here's where I'll say like, this all has to flow out of your own relationship with Christ. We can't fake this. We can't manufacture this or do this. Like if, if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm, I'm, just, trying to I'm just struggling to hold on and keep, get myself right. That's your first calling. I'm gonna talk about that more in a second. But this should come out of the overflow of your relationship with God. And some of you are in places where you're like, man, I can't do very much right now. No pressure. But there's some of you sitting here today, you're like, I can do more. I just don't know where to go or how to do this. Pray, ask, ask God for a plan, talk to other people, put some strategy together, have some wisdom and discernment, and then finally trust God with the outcome. Take the, it's, not, it's not about you, it's not, it's not about us. You do your part and God will do his part. That's, that's just some simple thoughts on how I think we can love our neighbor. But finally, I, um, with mission, we not only need to know our commander, we not only need to understand the strategy, which is love and truth, but we need to know the objective. And this sounds redundant, but the objective is also people. And this is, this is not to objectify anyone or, or lower their value, uh, someone's value in any way, but we are called to go and make disciples. You know, it's kind of shocking to me, um, you know, um, I've been raised in the church my whole life. And my dad, as Tony said, has been a pastor like of the same church. Um, he's been there 37 years, I think, this month. And, and so I've been somewhat insulated in some ways. Like I went to a Christian school. My whole family's Christian. My, my grandmother, her dad was, um, was an alcoholic and like just a broken home. But they found Jesus when she was a little girl. And she, be kinda, she became the matriarch of our family. And it changed the course of our family forever. Like cousins, aunts, uncles, we all like, 
I was, I was just in a Christian environment. It was a huge blessing. But what that did was it kind of insulated me from rubbing shoulders with people who didn't believe like me all the time. Okay. And so like, I wasn't pushed to have an answer. Like I didn't worry about like, I didn't have some of the peer pressure issues that some, some young people had, like all my friends were Christians and all that. We weren't perfect. Don't get me wrong, but I just didn't grow up without a knowledge of who God was and what he called me to. And here's what's crazy. There's a a research project that was done by Barna and they asked churchgoers, people in church, and not everybody here in in a church is not like a Christ follower. And by the way, if you're considering Christ, we're, we're glad you're here. And like I said, no pressure on you at all. But churchgoers were asked this question, have you heard of the Great Commission? 6% 6% said, I'm not sure. 17% said, yes, and I know what it means. 25% said, yes, but I can't exactly recall the exact meaning. But 51% said, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, our pastor is a great pastor, and I know you guys take notes and like you dive into everything we teach here. So this is probably not reflective of you, but... What I realized in this moment is like, I've been raised in the church and there's some things that I just, like I thought everybody knew and I don't want you to walk out of here today without all of us being on the same page. Jesus gives us a clear call. It's called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28. It's a famous passage of scripture. We're gonna read it just briefly together. Here's what the objective is. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, go therefore, and make disciples. Who's a disciple? Someone who simply follows Jesus. And we here at Grace, we teach on that in our Next Steps classes. And we talk about servant leadership and serving one another and being humble. And then also being devoted to the teaching of Christ, loving other people well. I'd encourage you to, to, to train on, on some of those things if you haven't. But we're called to make disciples. We are all disciples. We are called to make other disciples, baptizing them in in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Here it is again, like he, like he's given us these commands. We're, we're told to pass those on to our peers, to our families, to the generations to come. In fact, that word observe in verse 20 says it's literally translated as keepers or watchers or guards, maybe that's a better word for it. We're to guard the truth of God, to defend it, to stand boldly in it, to share it, to pass it on. In Deuteronomy, it talks about how families were called to write it on their doorposts and to talk about it when in the morning and when they lay down and when they're eating, when they're like to always be passing on the truth of God. We're we're the keepers and the watchers of it. And, And by the way, this is, we can complain about what's going on in our culture right now that we don't like and we're uncomfortable with and that's broken and, and evil and outright unhealthy and all the things. Part of the solution, are we guarding, are we keeping, are we passing on the truth of the word of God? Are we doing a good job of that? We need to ask ourselves that. And we all have a responsibility. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. What is he saying? It's not just, what he's saying is it's not just leaders and people with influence and teachers and missionaries who are called to do this. Every single person who says, I take on the name of Jesus. I am a Christian. I'm in the Lord's army, if I can say it that way. 
we're all called into this. Now, how do we do this? Um, if you read Luke 15, um, there's three different stories. There's about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. When the, sh- when the sheep is lost, it says that the shepherd leaves 90 and nine to go seek the one. When the coin is lost, the woman lights the lamp and sweeps her house diligently. And when she finds the one lost coin, she rejoices. When the son leaves home, asks his father for his inheritance and just leaves home, wants nothing to do with his family. And he leaves and he goes and he wastes his life. And he realizes that life was better at home when he comes back. What's the picture? The father seeing him from afar off runs to him. And, and embraces him, kisses him, and welcomes him home. Those three stories are shared to give us a picture. And here's kind of where I want to end. And I'm going to be a little vulnerable because I mentioned I grew up in church and I probably haven't, well, I know. I know I haven't loved people in the way that God has called me to love. It's easy to get my mind on work and tasks and the, quote, the work of the ministry and to not see people, not, and by the way, I love all of you, by the way, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there's people out there that are looking for their dad. In fact, um, again, I don't want to emotionally manipulate anybody, so I hesitated to share this story. But I think this is just a, a good picture of how God views people that they don't even know they need him yet, but he loves them. And there's a a pastor I sometimes listen to, um, Chris Hodges, maybe some of you have heard of him. I've mentioned some of his stuff before. And he tells a story about when his family was on a uh, a vacation and and a very crowded um, vacation area. Um, they have five children, and at the time, his youngest was 12, and his name was Joe, and Joe was on the spectrum of autism, so he didn't communicate as well as, as his other peers, and so they were in this crowded vacation spot, and Chris just suddenly realized that Joe was gone, and he said it was in an area that wasn't particularly safe, and he said, and my first thought was that my son had been abducted right out from under us. They're on vacation with about 20 other people, and he said, I turned to the other people in our group, and I said, Guys, Joe, Joe's gone. And as a parent, I mean, this is your worst fear, right? Like if you, if you have kids, even if you don't have kids, maybe it's nieces and nephews and whatever, like you're a lost child. Nobody wants to even think about that. And he said, guys, Joe's gone. And he said, people... And our, who were with us and who was, they, they just went, they just started searching. They just started hollering, Joe, 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 where are you? And he said, thank God, 35 minutes later, we found him. Um, but he said, those 35 minutes just messed him up. And he said, when I found my son, he said, I've got on my knees and I wrapped my arms around him. And I said, Joe, where, where were you? And Joe said, Dad, I was looking for you the whole time. I'm not much of a crier, sorry. Um, 
God just, he, you got to grab something. And this is, this is for me too. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm admitted. I don't always think of it like this. God loves his lost kids. He just does. He cares. The people that don't know him and are just striving and searching and they're they, they're looking for him. They don't know it yet, but they're looking for him. And there are some people that have intentionally walked away. They've had bad experiences in church or what have you, and, and they're lost. They're, they're without direction. That's how the scripture says it. It says that people without Christ are lost. I don't know if you've ever been lost. I talked about the GPS, but as a kid, I got lost one time. Thank God goodness, it wasn't in a, a dangerous place, but there was a crowded convention that my family was at. I remember being seven years old and having no clue where my parents were. And you know what? <laughs> my mom came through the sea of people just materialized. And she was like, I've been looking for you. In fact, she said she had seen me from, I was singing in a little kid's choir on the stage or whatever. She had watched me from the, like, the top bleachers. She never took her eyes off me and she made her way down to where I was. She could tell I was panicking and she, she came to where I was. That's Jesus. He hasn't taken his eyes off of any of his kids. And he's made, he's made an effort to reach every single person. But for whatever reason, he has asked you and I to help him. I don't know if this makes sense, but I was thinking about this. I don't know if this probably isn't a perfect illustration, but a farmer was out and he was getting things finished up for the day. And he saw a storm rolling and he saw all these little sparrows outside of his barn. And he, they had no idea the storm was coming and he, it was going to be a bad one, like lightning, you know, rain, maybe even a tornado and all this stuff. And he could, he was trying to shoo these little sparrows into his barn. So he opened the, the barn doors and he's trying to, sh well, what happens when you try to shoo something like that? It just scatters and they go away. And he had this thought, he's like, if I could just become one of these sparrows and I could talk to them, like they talk to each other, maybe I could convince them where safety was. I think in some ways, that's one reason why God has called you and I to do this. If Jesus was here standing in this room and he was saying, okay, if you love me, you have to obey all my commands, there would be a, a pretty good argument that, hey, we can't do it, Jesus. You're better than us. You're literally God. We don't identify. But when somebody looks at you and the spirit of Christ is in you and you're in love with Jesus and you're loving your neighbor and you're doing it, they're like, man, if they can do it, maybe I can do it. That's just my opinion. That's just, so you test that, weigh that. But I think that is why Jesus said, it is better for me to go away and that my spirit come because he's gonna use you and I. Here's kind of the key thought today. No, again, I wanna take the pressure off of you. We're, we can't do everything. We can't fix everything. We can't reach everyone. You can't reach everyone, but you are called to reach someone. You are called to reach someone. You are here in 2023 to reach one. And it might be just one. It might be more, probably is more. But even if it's just one, that's why you're here. Because the one is important to the Father. You are important to the Father. He left the 99. He sent someone. We've all 
Somebody's invested in us. We're here today because somebody did something. And I'm just asking you to consider, not consider, to embrace the call, to embrace the great commission. If you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, this is your mission. This is my mission. You don't have to have all the perfect answers. Somebody put it like this, you know, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is, okay? Don't feel like you have to all the, have all of the theological answers and the perfect theological positions or whatever. Just be a witness, be an ambassador. Tell others what Jesus has done for you. He says in Acts 1.8, he says, I want you to go into Jerusalem, then to, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Your Jerusalem is your family, the people that are closest to you, your kids, your, your cousins, your grand, you know, like the people that you love the most, that they're the people that walk in your house and open the refrigerator. That's your Jerusalem, okay? Lead your home well. Fight for your families, fight for your homes. Especially this younger generation. I know that as the next gen guy, I'm always talking about kids and teens, they need us. And that's sort of, and if they're not in your family, that's your Judea, okay? I think this is so cool. I met with somebody this week and they're working with uh, FCA, Ed Castle and I, and uh, now we're talking about this. They've started club sports, little league um, for kids. And it's a, the fellowship of Christian athletes. So you might assume that, well, these are for church kids and Christian kids and families that value church. 80% of their kids are totally unchurched. That's a Judea. They're right outside the door. They're, they're right there. They've placed themselves in an environment with their, with, they understand this is, has some sort of Christian or religious element. What are we doing to reach those people? Some of you are like, I can't teach. Maybe you can coach, okay? Maybe you're a sports guy. Whatever God has given you a passion for, your hobbies, your interests, your skills, I promise you, you can use that to reach someone. Samaria, the next thing. That's probably our state. If some of you are business leaders and legislators and lawyers and, you know, you sit on school boards and we need more people to lead in our community, to sit on councils, to sit on those things, to, to, to lift up our community and point people and lead in those circles in a way that honors Christ. And then finally, we're, we're to go to the ends of the earth, which is self-explanatory. Aren't you glad to be a part of a church that we have the ability to, to go to Kenya and go to, to other parts of the earth and our dollars literally go around the world? But again, I want to come back to this key thought. You can't do everything. You can't reach everyone, but you're called to reach someone. The father is looking for his lost kids, and I'm convinced whether they know it or not, they've been looking for him the whole time. They've been looking for him the whole time. Would you pray with me? And we, let's just ask God to collectively help us to know how we can do this. Lord, I, I ask for your guidance in my own life. This is a hard prayer for me to even pray. Lord, we are here to fulfill what you call the great commission. Lord, it can feel awkward or there can be this fear of rejection or maybe we're not sure where to start or... Lord, help us just to be faithful. Help us to see people as you see them. Lord, this is not just about pleasing you. This is about 
loving people well. We're called to do this. So Lord, if there's anybody here that's wondering what their neck, would you just make it clear? Lord, we need your help in this process. Lord, help us not to overcomplicate it. Lord, help us not to make excuses or to explain it away. Lord, may we step into the mission, this great commission that you have called us to. Lord, we want to be found as faithful in your eyes. But more than that, we just want to pass on what you have given to us. And I thank you for what you have done in our lives. Help us to, to, to do so in kind. Lord, you promised to be with us through it all. And so we rest on your strength today for it. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for your kind attention.